0: This is Ron Friends, comics illustrator, and this is a bumper for The Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle, all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider of the amazing. And welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com.
1: And I'm Mark Giannacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, and currently collaborating with Mr. Dan here on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com.
0: Well, thanks everybody for joining us for our fifth and sadly final matrimonial episode of Amazing Spider Talk Renew Your Vows Edition. It's the last time I'm going to get to say that, Mark.
1: Well, you never know.
0: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right about that. Well, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, and for this
1: episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows Number 5 by Dan Slott, Adam Kubert, and Scott Hanna. Then we'll review your comments and emails, and then... Back from the sickness and the dead, I guess, if, if sickness equals death. Flash Thompson, I already see him. He's, he's giving me the stink eye probably because he's had a stomach flu, Dan.
0: <laughs> Has it spread to his eye for some reason?
1: <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't even want to know. It's, it's, it's been a week, Dan. It's been a week.
0: <laughs> well, of course, everybody, if you hear this sound, Please be sure to check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Mark, let's get right into it. Our final discussion of Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows.
1: Love and matter.
0: carriage this I tell your brother you can't
1: have one without the other. right Dan so we we've reached the end of this mini series. Um you know the last last issue we felt kinda slipped up uh tonally and and in terms of the family dynamic. Um I felt with issue five here uh you know at least they got got peter and and annie and mj back together for some scenes but there was just some issues with the tone that i feel still felt kind of similar to the last issue and dissimilar from the first three issues i mean it's not that this led to a bad story i i I enjoyed this comic i I enjoyed this arc i felt it was an, an okay enough diversion from um you know the secret wars hullabaloo but um, all the same, it, it, you could almost break this series into two parts, the first three issues and the second, and it, it doesn't feel uh, congruous with each other. I mean, did, am I talking crazy here?
0: No, it's almost as if adding Scott Hanna on cheered everybody up in, in the editing department, and they're like, let's give this, like, a really happy, pat, like, uh, really cheery dance lot Spider-Man, and Human Torch vibe. and uh, And we got this kind of chipper ending and and goofy antics and yeah this is a harsh and stark comparison to the kind of dour weight of the world that we felt in the first three issues
1: I think part of the reason why I really enjoyed the first three issues so tremendously is I felt that those darker grittier tones um, I felt that Dan Slott was executing within I think unfamiliar territory for him I mean you know he, he you mentioned the human torch spider-man story which is a favorite series of mine i love that book you know that's that's kind of like the happy-go-lucky dance slot that we know and this was different but again he was pulling it off i mean you know he, he was making it work and you know this 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 kind of at the end renew your vows this resembled i don't want to say a run-of-a-mill story but it was kind of like okay well that was a good not great dance slot story at the end that was kind of where it left me, you know, it was like it, it, there was nothing, nothing unique or different or memorable about it that I think is going to stick with us uh, months or years from now.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of like things we'll talk about that maybe elevate it above a simple rock'em, sock'em, knock-up, big boss fight, I think is what I called it in my review. <laughs> uh, okay. So, some arrangement of those words And uh, and – and so that you know like the little character moments that are added you know add a, add a little bit but uh yeah it was it was a dis- it was disappointing i think mostly just because we were led to believe we were really in the middle of something truly great here even if it was a what if story
1: yeah definitely and and you know unfortunately if just from a uh production standpoint uh there were there were some, some things about this issue that I felt took us out of the story. I mean, there was a, the, the you know, you talked about this in your review primarily this this ad placement in a very critical part. Like, I mean, what what's that about, Dan? That was that just that just killed me. I mean, it was like a major major emotional beat of the story, and there's this double spread ad smack in the middle of it. And I I had to read the page over again because I had no idea what was going on there because of this this ad.
0: And we've been seeing things like this in comics recently. I don't know if you read the Batman issue where it was half-page ads with the like mirrored with the comic. Did you see that?
1: I haven't looked. I haven't cracked it open yet. But oh I, oh my goodness! On my to, it's on my to-read pile.
0: Yeah, the bottom half of each page uh, of this double-page spread was ads, and Batman even like commented on the ads, like making fun of it. Here, though, like this just seems like an editorial error or a printing error. Yeah, the worst part of it is it's not like it's just like a little ad. It's like they're big, meaty, fold-out ads. And, uh, and I think in probably one of the most crucial moments of the story, maybe the crucial moment where Peter, you know, supposedly makes the change into his new mantra about life. And it's, I guess, meant to be reminiscent, at least I thought, of Amazing Spider-Man 33, or though... I guess you could say any moment where Peter is near death yeah. and has to break free of something would be reminiscent of that but uh yeah I mean like I I don't know I mean ha, what were your thoughts when you like did you notice it when you were reading it Oh
1: absolutely I mean I I well what what confused me was I you know I because I didn't realize it was uh you know the ad was cutting through a double page spread of the story I I read the panel the panels as if it was a single page and felt that it didn't you know the sequencing of of the art and the story just didn't make sense because it was kind of like you know he's he's struggling and then all of a sudden he's free and there was like that that middle you know I mean you know and 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 I do want to make note of this I mean as I I know that Dan Slott loves the um, the classic Spider Man stuff but um, I think he there needs to be a moratorium at some point on his on him homaging uh, ASM thirty three and and even like the afterlife stuff and you know him kind of this is this feels like the sixth or seventh time in a Dan Slott story we've had Peter in the afterlife uh i'm kind of done with it yeah <laughs> I'm me, kinda ch- done, me too. i'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with dan slatt's interpretation of it i mean you know we we, we get it and and you know i, I but I will, and we can talk about that more in a second but the point being was uh, you know like i was because unfortunately dan has done this so many times i was like okay well where's the where's the the homage to you know anybody can give up when you know the odds are against them kind of Middle panel, and it, I didn't see it. It just kind of elevated to the conclusion, and then I ter- flipped flipped the ad over and saw that it, there was m- stuff in the middle that I missed. I I was furious, Dan. I mean, like it's just like, and I guess you know you can make the case that more and more people are reading these books on tablets and digital copies, and and obviously they don't have to deal with that. Um, and Marvel probably you know for for circulation purposes has to get these ads in how they can wherever they can, but. You know, there needs to be some thought because this is this was distracting for those holding hard copies.
0: Well, you know, it's 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 disturbing for the artists, you know, who spent this amount of time crafting something like this to see a moment like this be ruined by something completely outside of their control. But it speaks to like a more general lack of care about assembly of a product. I mean, there have been all these widespread reports about. How Marvel was really pushing retailers to order massive copies of this issue because something, you know, really world changing would be happening in this book. And, you know, they've been doing all these variant covers with Peter and MJ getting married. So people suspected that like there might be some lingering marriage thing that like echoed into ASM number one and We haven't seen ASM one, so we can't say. But I I think it's probably safe to say that nothing like that is going to happen um, after this issue. So, like, I'm I'm upset for these real retailers and all the customers because, like, you have a company that's spending so much of its energy focusing on selling this book which, you know, that's their M.O., but at least double-check, have someone, you know, open your book and look and see what the content looks like or give it a read-through. I, I half expected to talk to you, Mark, and be like, hey, w- was I the only one who got this ad sandwiched in here? And and have you say, yeah, I, I know nothing about that.
1: No, no, it, it was a problem. Well, Dan, I mean, we could, we could spend a whole episode just talking about this kind of stuff and and what it's doing to the sure, industry sure. And, and and I mean, needless to say, this was a distraction. And you know, if anyone from Marvel is listening, um, you know, please, 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 be mindful of this because you know, for those of us who still have the hard copies, that's that's no way to 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 place an ad in the in, in the middle of a story. Okay, we talked a little bit about. Well, let's let's. I mean, let's talk about the opening of this comic because I feel. You know, in terms of some tonal things and this just kind of your standard bait and switches, which we've been getting a lot in Spider-Man lore. I mean, we, we got a lot of that up front. I mean, first of all, you know, we, we, we were of the understanding that Peter was, was effectively dead at the end of Renew Your Vows number four.
0: Or right on I'm Death's
1: a, Door. Or on Death's Door. And then even, like, Hawkeye makes comment at one point, and, and we can talk about what preceded Hawkeye making this comment in a second in terms of magic arrows.
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh, you're just itching to get to that magic arrow. Well, (laughs)
1: itching may not be the right word. Um, (laughs) But,
0: you know, there was um,
1: basically, you know, Hawkeye's like, oh, Parker is dead, you know? And it's like, I don't know. Even even from a what-if story standpoint, Dan, I didn't believe that for a second. And I and clearly it wasn't true. And I just don't understand why we still need to have that in comics like this these days. Like, like, like what's with the bait? like, like we're not that stupid anymore. So why are we doing this? You know what I
0: mean? <laughs> yeah. And last episode, I, I, I mentioned that as well about, you know, how I felt like there was a, a cliffhanger that was resolved by saying, oh, that's not really something to worry about. And then here we get it again where Peter is clearly not dead and is struggling and has the ability to break free. And it makes you go like, why should I invest in any future stakes if all of these stakes that are established get just washed to the wind a minute l- later?
1: Yeah, I mean without any fanfare really. I mean it's – I guess that's part of it too. It's not even like it's, – it's, it's not even like there's any suspense. It's just you know, like it's it's so predictable, and 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 then when it's actually when it's finally executed, it's not only predictable but it's like too simple, you know, <laughs> like so so what's the point here? Um,
0: yeah. And then are we meant to believe that Spider Man is the first person to ever like just punch his arms out? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, whatever. Um, that's fine.
1: Yeah, I, I, I you know I I, I kind of liked. You know, we, we've we've talked about this in, in over the last year or so with with Dan Slot about how Peter is kind of made out to be a pushover. I, I I like that, you know, Peter was able to use his resolve to to break free. I think it's an important part of the character. But all the same, it was just very simplified, and that's that's unfortunate. Now the other thing, you know, in this opening scene, and we'll get to magic arrows, Dan, I promise. Uh, you know, we have this banter between Annie and Mary Jane. And what, what's what's your take on what we're seeing here with these characters?
0: I mean, they both seem like... I mean, one thing, Annie seems very cut from the cloth of Peter with the kind of jokiness and and things like that. Um, but there's just something about their dialogue that's just... it's It's either like too formal or too goofy or a strange combination somewhere in between because it just doesn't read like people would talk about talk this way in these situations you know we got a life and death situation going on here and annie is busy joking about her amp nickname that she's come up with um i i know that like dan Slot likes writing in this kind of you know old-fashioned style but I don't know. I it, it's so cloying. It's so cutesy. Oh, I'm just shivering here.
1: Yeah, it just it it takes you out of the moment. I I think that's what it is, and and it it just also feels like overcompensation. And I think that's ultimately one of the flaws with with Danson and how he writes a lot of. Um, I don't want to say new characters because I mean MJ is not a new character, um, but it's like. You know, like when 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 he when he suddenly decides like what the status quo for a character is going to be. I feel you know, like Silk or Carly Cooper or you know Annie or MJ or the new Black Cat. I feel like he just overcompensates and and just pushes it into overdrive and 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 exaggerates to a point where, like you say, characters just don't talk like how people should talk and 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 the dynamics just feel unreal and 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 they take you out of it i think that's the, that's the only way to describe it it's it's it, it just took me out of it um and, and it just felt like what am i what comic am i reading right now because this doesn't feel like anything
0: <laughs> and and there's some nice like moments like if i think it, if it we're in a different c- circumstance that i would like enjoy the kind of witty lines like where um MJ announces that she already has a code name, Mom. And I was like, okay, that's clever. But, like, her husband is dying, you know? Like, it just it doesn't feel, like, present enough. Like, they're in a completely different, like, Abbott and Costello routine or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, Dan, I guess you could say that, there, that the scenes like that insert some levity. But I don't even feel this was levity. This was just something else entirely different.
0: Yeah, at least, at least, at the very least, I can say like, I think maybe we're I'm I'm being a little harsh on this. I I really don't like this, and maybe I'm being overly harsh on it because it uses the word magic. Like they could have said like, because they aren't magic. They're you know whatever technology. Inhibitors. Yeah, uh, that Peter has invented. Although there is some kind of like weird grayness around what these inhibitor chips because. Like, it's implied that there were inhibitor chips before, and then Regent outlawed them. And then when Peter talked to the tinkerer, he was like, these don't work. And then everybody's like, oh, my God, you invented inhibitor chips. And you're like, well, which was it? Like, did they exist or didn't they exist? And do they work or don't they work? Um, and how does an inhibitor chip fit in an arrow, and what does that have to do with Regent?
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know. And And, and Dan... What the heck is going on with Regent's power set? This is just so mind-numbingly confusing. So he absorbs powers through, what, tubes and stuff, but only when they're dead, except they're not dead. And he's still capturing heroes, even though all the heroes are supposedly dead. Like, they talk about Havoc being around. What, what the heck?
0: What is going on here? Yeah, I guess, like, Havoc is... I mean, I thought everybody was dead, but, like, he clearly starts trying to use the spider sense, even though Peter is alive. Uh... I don't know. I think I mean, like, I think these power set has been slowly revealed that he can he basically just captures them, kills them and absorbs their powers, which he can use for a certain amount of time. Um, but like it's a weird way to slowly reveal that. And it feels very like it, it. it works when it fits the story, you know, like it's like, oh, this is how it works because this is how it should work because I need this to happen for this story to work.
1: I thought that there was at least an attempt to do something interesting with Regent here in terms of his relationship with Doom. I guess, you know, Regent being like this benevolent dictator and 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 I guess Dan Slott's been reading lots of Walking Dead. I don't know, because that's kind of what it felt like in terms of, <laughs> you know, I need to protect us from Doom. You know, I'm your only hope. So, you know, get in line.
0: I mean, there's, there could be an interesting story there about, like, how Regent has, like, a respons- – he feels a responsibility to save everyone from Doom. But, yeah, like, but it's they never explored.
1: No, they introduced it on, like, you know, in the last quarter of the last issue of the series. So whoop-de-damn-do.
0: It's an interesting idea, but I don't know how I'm meant to feel about it, you know? Am I supposed to feel sympathetic for Regent?
1: You know, the Regent has kind of been a bus this whole series, um, but obviously we get this – the moment, you know, the turning point of the story, which is Regent capturing Annie and kind of bartering with her life or Peter's. Dan, what did you think? How did you think this, this moment played out?
0: I thought it was like a total – like someone just stepping on the brake on this book. Because it was like Peter was being aggressive. He had that great moment where he punches Regent out the window. And I don't want to like gloss over the great moments in this book. Because that was a great moment. Like that owl-octopus war callback. Um, And I was like, okay. This fight is going ahead. And then he captures Annie and all of a sudden it was just like, okay, we're just going to step back now and not do anything. And it was like, where was the aggressive Peter... That we just read about for the past couple pages.
1: Yeah, very very sudden shift. And, you know, I, I, I did find it odd that the way he ultimately disarmed Regent was with kind of, you know, referred to as a dad joke. Not because it wasn't... It was clever enough. I kind of liked... I liked it and I didn't like it, if that makes sense. I think what I don't like is... And we kind of saw this in Learning to Crawl is uh, Slot kind of has this, I feel, very unique spin on why Spider-Man tells jokes. And is you know, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
0: As purely as a disarming te- technique towards the villain. Yeah. Instead of it being like a personal way to cope with being involved in violence.
1: Exactly. Because I think what it is is slots' interpretation isn't necessarily my interpretation.
0: Yeah, but it's also just a bizarre way to take down this character that's been built up as an enormous threat, you know? And we got this moment where Peter steals this piece of armor from MJ and he's going to stab him in the jugular. Or that's his intentions. And first of all, I didn't understand why he needed – MJ's armor, it's, you know, it's, it's like a magic arrow kind of thing. It's just kind of like this random technology mumbo jumbo where you can just go, oh, it's science, you know, like that's (laughs) why it's doing it, you know. Um, But like, really, this, this guy that killed all of the Avengers, or at least most of them, it's going to be disarmed with one, a punch and two, a punch induced by getting him to laugh at the worst dad joke of all time.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's it's tonal like I said, shift. It, it yes, definitely. Although I kind of felt like as un, as oddly constructed as the moment was, having the dad joke in there did kind of call back to I felt like the first issue or so when there's like that banter around the table and that kind of kind of hokey cheesy family dynamic that you weren't a fan of, but I felt was kind of reminiscent of like, you know, the late eighties, early nineties Spider-Man. Yeah. I, I, I I felt there was some connectivity there thematically like, Oh, you know, this is, this is where the journey has led where being, being a, a, a corny dad to Annie is actually what saves her. I kind of respect that and like that, but It also feels incongruous with how we know what Spider-Man's humor is about based on what many other writers and creators have done with it over the
0: years. Yeah, and that's not even my primary complaint about it. But, I mean, here's the thing about this book. I I think it kind of hits all of the things that it needs to hit um, in terms of this narrative being wrapped up. And, and I think that callback is one of them. Peter seemingly has a change in perspective about how he's going to handle his villains. This moment is followed up by MJ asking Peter, you know, if Annie was in real danger, which I kind of thought that she was throughout this whole book. Um, if Peter would kill... The person, which is an odd thing because it seems that M j is like advocating for Peter to murder people um, uh, f- firstly but but also because she was already in real danger but uh, Peter has changed, and okay that 's an interesting moral development and character arc for this character, but none of it feels earned like I never felt like I realized why Peter changed his mind about killing villains did you
1: no i I actually missed. The turn, like, I guess that was supposed to be easy to read and it wasn't to me. It took multiple reads for me to be like, all right, I guess I see what they're talking about with this change of heart.
0: But like, but, but not even the moment where he changes his heart. Like, did, do you feel like you know why he changed his mind?
1: No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, I didn't know because there was no true development of it. Yeah. You know, if, if if they don't build to it, how am I supposed to read that moment that he's changed his viewpoint on life? You know, like outside of because the creator said so.
0: Yeah. Like I said, like I feel like Dan Slott, he does his, you know, he does it the Marvel way, right? He scripts it or he does like an outline first and then scripts it after the art is done. And I feel like he always has like a general idea of like how these types of stories should be written. Like, here's the bullet points, and here's the arc, and he can lay it out really well. But then, when he, I guess when he goes to do the scripting later, like, it seems as if he's missing all the details that sell those moments that he's outlined, you know? And I wonder if this is a downside to writing the Marvel way in the 21st century, or if this is just something that's unique to Dan Slott. I mean, there's plenty of writers that do this, but it's just really, like, it's all there, and then there's no connective tissue, yeah,
1: well, you know, they're not, you know, in the in the 21st century, they're not doing nine panel pages like Stan and Steve were, you know? Like, so yeah. you can't, you can't tell. Unfortunately, you cannot tell a lot of story that way doing it today. You know, like you have to have these big splash pages and and and, and quick dialogue boxes. And, and yeah, I think things, moments are being missed. Sure. Um, doing it in this, in this kind of. In the Marvel fashion.
0: But I think so many of these moments could have happened in this book, even with the minimal panels. Like all of the places where this book trips are things that the book set up for itself. Like creating this villain that was all powerful and, and couldn't be stopped. And, and you know, all the little elements that are added in that are just frankly unnecessary you know, uh, uh, that then take you away from the time that could have been spent selling us on the moments that happened.
1: Right. Um, so the book ends very open ended. I don't know if this is supposed to be the hook of the book that this world continues and maybe we'll come back to it. What did you think?
0: Uh, I mean, I I was okay with it. Uh, you know, it, it's not on my list. I, I don't love it. Like I thought it was a nice parallel to the opening. You get them all sitting around the table again. Although it is a little too upbeat. I mean, like they just disposed. A dictator who had control over the city for whatever, six years, like I would imagine the city would suddenly get thrown into chaos. And I realized that that couldn't be shown, but it, it is kind of like, well, there's no consequences to this. Let's just go eat dinner, you know, or breakfast. Sorry. Wheat cakes, banana wheat cakes.
1: Well, the, you know, banana pancakes, ba- ba- banana pancakes can, sa- can save everybody. Absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah, did you, but, li- but, did you but, like it, Mark?
1: I mean, I, I kind of I, – I mean, I didn't know what to expect because, again, we're in uncharted territory in terms of how these Secret War battle world books are going to be treated. I thought it was interesting. I mean, I, I like that they left that door open, but all the same, I mean, unless they're going to do like another little point one sidebar story down the road, I don't see them coming back here either, right?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't see a reason to. I mean, essentially the story has been told and – now you've got essentially a very similar Peter Parker just happens to have a wife and kid, um, which we got already basically in Spider Girl, so unless they're doing another version of that we got we get AMP the series, Mark. Are you excited for it?
1: <laughs> well with a name like that, how can I not?
0: What what did you think about the like weird innocence of the final scene where they're like ha what about that doom? That's so funny. Like, what were we supposed to make of that? Like that these characters are like, just kind of naive to their situation.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't think it was anything deeper than that.
0: Just kind of a weird note, because I, I, maybe it made me like think about the characters differently in the final moment. I was like, so what is this saying? Like, this does, none of this matters, or you know, like. These people are just kind of blissfully unaware. Uh, I I don't know. Um, It seems almost like to say, like, see that whole struggle we just went through? None of that really is anything compared to the real struggle that's going on. (laughs) I don't
1: know. Any other uh, notes, Dan?
0: I think it's important for us to talk about the art in this book. Uh, Sure. What did you think? I know last time we talked about Scott Hanna and... Uh, and and Adam Kubert kind of teaming up and maybe it not being the greatest of results. What did you think about this one?
1: No, I thought this was an improvement. I felt that, that things were a little cleaner. And, you know, we, we talked about some of the, the splash pages that, you, that were really stunning here. Um, you know, I think the, the sequencing of some of the panels was good when they weren't interrupted by advertisements, you know? So, uh, you know, I, Cooper's uh, been very, I feel up and down on this series. I think some, some, I felt the first book artistically was a little weak, and I felt the last one, and then I felt the middle two looked great, and this one looked great. So,
0: Yeah, I like this one, too. I think it's an improvement. I don't think it's on the level of issue two or three. It, it's still got some of Scott Hanna's, I think, rounder inks or rounder pencils, and, uh, and I think this book, a book like this really needs like a hard edge. Um, although, I mean, certainly this issue is more lighthearted, so maybe that fit. Maybe that's why they brought Hanna in for these last two issues. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, certainly no complaints about the artwork on on, on this book. Cool. You want so to do a, your grade? you to do a grade? Yeah. What's your grade, Dan? I'm giving it a C plus. And I am
1: exactly right there with your C plus.
0: Do you think these last two chapters, like we don't love them? I don't think either of us thought they were bad books, even though you've just listened to us complain about them for half an hour. Uh, do you think it sullies the arc? overall
1: well like i said in the beginning i think it it, you know we we went from what could have potentially been a great story to an okay one and you know if they wanted to tell an okay story then that's fine it's it's better than what we have been getting unfortunately in the main book over the last six months or so so you know that's good
0: we'll take (laughs) we'll take okay yeah (laughs) yeah
1: Like, I, I mean, if, 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 we, if we had a story like this in lieu of Spider-Verse, I don't think I would have been nearly as down on the state of the Spider-Books during that time period. I would have just been like, all right, this is a little mediocre, but it's okay.
0: Yeah. And at least it was interesting.
1: Exactly. It was something different.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of something different, let's move on to our comments and emails.
1: As you know, we we thrive on the uh, input from our community of listeners and fans, and and, and not fans—I don't know—critics uh, maybe. <laughs> but uh, you know, so so with that in mind, we we urge you to. Um, Leave us comments on iTunes and and Stitcher about what you think of the show. Leave us a rating while you're there, too. And you can find Amazing Spider Talk on iTunes or Stitcher just by searching on our name or just search Spider-Man will come up pretty quickly. So after you do that and help grow our community by giving us feedback... Uh, we can also uh, – you can shoot us an email about anything we've talked about, the comics we talk about, the questions that we answered. If you just have a random question for us, and those questions can go to AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. Also, in this, in this new wave of social media, you can tweet at us with the hashtag okay to print and you can tweet at either Dan at SupSpiderTalk or myself at ChasingASM blog.
0: Awesome. Well, I look forward to receiving some questions and comments. We don't have any comments this time, but I wanted to comment that uh, a big thank you to everyone listening. Our t-shirt campaign ended, and uh, we were successful. We sold 32 shirts when we needed to sell 30. So that means we got to give t-shirts to all of our contributors to the site. And, uh, and we're going to be doing more of these things. We paid off the artist, and we're not making a profit on this, but it's always cool to have merchandise uh, on the store. And, and so you know, keep an eye out for that. But thank you. I hope you guys who all ordered shirts enjoy your shirts. I know. I'm going to enjoy mine, Dan. I ordered mine. Yeah, me too. Me too. So uh, uh, I'm looking forward to wearing it around Los Angeles. Maybe I'll go march outside of Stone, Sony Pictures and, and see what they think of it.
1: Um, well, hopefully there will be no copyright infringement issues. Right.
0: They'll just, they'll just be like, we'll see your butt in court.
1: Yeah, cease and desist. Here, yeah. Here's some fan mail for you. We, um, we didn't
0: know about you before, but now we definitely do.
1: There you go. Um, we did get a question through Gmail uh, from Adam Chapman, and this is, this is an interesting one, Dan. He asks, Spider-Man has a great robes gallery. Well, duh. But many of the famous rogues have had second or even third iterations, which invariably pale in comparison to their predecessors, which is your favorite. So, uh, Dan, do you want to take first stab at this?
0: Sure. I, I think I think using the word favorite is giving these characters a, a uh, an edge that perhaps they would not have received without that question <laughs> being posed yeah. that way. And I
1: guess we're just outright disqualifying... Norman and Harry Osborne here, because that was actually a good second iteration of a villain, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, like we're talking about, I guess, like the the best of the worst is what we're really talking about here.
1: Although, I guess you could consider uh, what the, the 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 doc, the psychiatrist, as the third Green Goblin, and then Phil Urich as the fourth Green Goblin. I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a decent point. Let's let's write out the the Green Goblin iterations, because I think okay. They're universally liked, I would say. Yeah, maybe not Phil Urich, but
1: uh, right. Yeah. Well, it was. There were some people that loved that book when in the '90s. I I never read it, so I couldn't tell you. Sure. But um, which is why I think they felt so betrayed when when Phil went bad and became
0: the Hobgoblin.
1: Sure, but, I, I guess uh,
0: Phil as a as a third or fourth Hobgoblin could fulfill this list. There you go. <laughs> My Phil favorite makes his was. Way around. My favorite was Ned Leeds as the Hobgoblin. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> it did for what? Twenty years.
1: <laughs> Just say if 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 we're gonna go by Hobgoblin logic and what Roderick Kingsley has become, then there's like 97 iterations of the Hobgoblin. So oh
0: yeah, I, that's true.
1: Um, but Mark, like do you have
0: do you have a favorite one uh, that qualifies for this list? Well, you know, I I'm,
1: I'm gonna be deep cut I'm gonna be deep cut about this one because I um for me, I, I there's there's a personal reason here. I'm gonna go with the second vulture, Blackie Drago, who uh, I believe his first appearance was in Amazing Spider-Man number sixty three. If I'm off my issue or two, I apologize. But the reason why that issue stands out to me because Dan, it was my very first Silver Age issue of Spider Man. I uh went, you know, my first Stanley issue. Uh, of course, you got the Jazzy John Ramita artwork on that. And uh, I just remember going to my local comic book shop with uh, Christmas money in my wallet, burning a hole. And, um, you know, I've been buying Spider-Man regularly for years off the, off the spinner rack. I had a couple of like Bronze Age era issues, but I was like, I want a Spider-Man comic book with 12 cents on the cover. Like, that was, like, my goal. I want a 12-cent issue of Spider-Man. And I, you know, I put my money on the counter and said, what do you have that I could afford? And the guy took out the, this thing with the two Vulture cover, including Blackie Drago. So I got to go with him.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's a great issue. I, I, Blackie, I, I feel like that issue legitimized the Vulture beyond his initial appearances. Uh, you know, we got a couple of them, but, like, that one actually where he felt like a threat, although it does have that very funny scene where he is able to build a flying harness while he's in prison. Like, people didn't notice him uh, constructing these wings.
1: No, of course not. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, what's his name, using the, the the brick for the chess pieces, right?
0: Yeah, right, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I'm going to go with a more modern... Uh, uh, pick, and I, I bet people are going to guess what i 'm going to pick but i 'm going with Mac Gargan as venom, um, mostly because he 's one of these characters that actually hung around for a while and had a number of interesting stories I- involving him, uh, you know even joining the thunderbolts and and all of that so uh, you know I, I think Eddie Brock was such an iconic villain as venom. You know, I think if before Matt Gargan took on the suit, I I, I doubt you could really l- convince me that someone else could wear the Venom suit and it would be a villain that we would take seriously and would hang around for a while instead of having Eddie Brock rush back into the suit. And I'm amazed that he's still not in the suit today. Uh, so yeah, I, I, Matt Gargan, he kind of did something new with Venom and I guess... Maybe ushered into Venom people don't like with the brain-eating you know, version of him. But, but an interesting character and, and an interesting pairing uh, uh, putting Mac Gargan in that suit, like kind of the B-lister looking to become A-list.
1: Yeah, I mean I, th- I felt it was a good resurrection of that character because they definitely just kind of hit a point where what, – what were you going to do with Matt Gargan at that point? You know what I mean? So
0: And what were you and- going to do with Venom?
1: yeah what we're we gonna do with eddie brock i mean you know wasn't wasn't the wasn't the rumor from tyler barless that that mark millar wanted to kill eddie brock I, that, I did not know kind, that but maybe yeah that that this is something that's on spider fan like it's part of like you know apparently spider fan was um consulted about killing a character and of course they originally wanted to do eddie brock and and marvel was like no you can't kill eddie brock um so they were going to do this whole new Venom thing, and that's when they were like, we need, like, an obscure person from the Silver Age. And they, I forgot who the classmate's name was, but it was the classmate that was killed by this, I guess, the Venom in between Brock and Mac, uh, the, the other classmate. I can't remember the name right now. For some but, reason, uh, I
0: want to say, like, Freddy something. but
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, um,
0: I remember this story, but I didn't realize the context of that was that they were going to kill off Eddie Brock.
1: Yep. The, you know, Mark Millar, you know, Mark Millar in his infinite wisdom wanted to kill Eddie Brock.
0: Perhaps it happened. That was all the way back in episode three of Superior Spider Talk.
1: So, yes,
0: uh, now we're gonna have insert editor notes <laughs> into our into our show.
1: Yeah. Well, but Dan I like your choice a lot and I, I I think from a from you know, if it wasn't for the personal connection, I would have probably gone with Mac too. I definitely like it. And and um yeah, I, I guess you can make a case of um, Ned Leeds, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going with Ned Leeds. I'm, I'm amending there, my answer. There I you particularly go. like the scene where he dies.
1: Yes, before, before he was revealed, which was the best part of all. Oh, <laughs> 80s, 80s Spider-Man office. Jim Owsley slash Chris Priest. You're a good, good soul for that.
0: Uh. <laughs> you provided Mark a lot of, like, headaches over the past yeah. several years.
1: Never replied to any of my emails.
0: Oh, well. You He's know. definitely listening, Mark.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure he, he just thinks, here's my name, and it's like, ah, oh, that guy.
0: He's howling well, with laughter right now.
1: Well, speaking of howling and that guy, I think I hear someone uh, making his way to the microphone, Dan.
0: You don't sound very good. I, I I thought you were over this sickness.
1: Oh no, I I just I just smoked a pack before uh, you know having my uh my my whiskey here. Uh, that I'm just clearing my throat. But uh, let me tell you something: a bottle of whiskey on my stomach right now. Whoo! You don't want to be in Enjolras' house. Let me tell you.
0: Oh man. Uh, yeah, I this, feel, this... I feel bad for him.
1: You don't feel bad for me. I know what you're all about. Uh, you know, you were probably laughing. You know, we were going to record with Jerry Conway. I was, I was going to get to hear the great Jerry Conway on the computer for the first time. And instead, I'm all doubled over with, you know, gastrointestinal pain. I bet you didn't think I knew that word, did you, Dan?
0: I bet you Trojan horse that virus into the ginocchio house. Ginocchio house. Yeah,
1: could you get the guy's name right? You only do, have done like 970 episodes of them.
0: Oh no, uh, I mispronounced it intentionally just to get his ire up.
1: Uh uh-huh, uh huh I see, I see. Well, you know, you you're good at that. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter what the source of the of the bug was. The problem was, you know, between me and 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 Mark and his family, it was just not pretty and and you know, now now, you know, they're telling me you should you should drink a little less. And I'm like, well, that's what the last 37 doctors told me. What else you got for me? And then they're like, uh, well, uh, you should drink a little less. And I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. Do you so, even uh, have
0: an immune system left?
1: What kind of question is that? What do you think I am? Some kind of superhero? Come on. Anyway, here's the rules. If you haven't figured it out by now. I, uh, I sit in the corner and make jokes and, and you know, make uncomfortable f- facial expressions because of my stomach pain. And uh, while well, these two knuckleheads give 60-second reviews of the B-Books. And uh, they're either fan club certified, like me, or uh, they're puny Parker. Like, <laughs> well, puny Peter Parker. So uh, why don't you guys go and do uh, Spider-Woman number 10?
0: All right. Well, uh, Flash, if you'll leave the microphone, uh, we'll let Mark get started. <coughs> All right. I'm here. Is there, is there like a, a mist filling your house at this point? Uh, Dan,
1: it's, it, it's been brutal. And it's like, I, you know, I feel like I'm still not 100% because of the presence of this, of this jerk. But um, but he wants to he wants to hear the flash reviews because, you know, I think I think he just likes hearing fan club certified puny Parker. Like I like I see this little gleam in his eyes every time we say it. And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of pathetic. But, you know, flash flash is pathetic.
0: All right. Well, then let's get right into it, Mark. I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. So, Dan, Spider-Woman number 10, I think the most pleasant
1: surprise about this series is the emerging unlikely friends motif between Jessica, Porcupine, and Ben. I mean, this series really came out of nowhere and stars three very mismatched characters, and yet it achieves its goals as a fun, smart, and fast superhero comic, admirably. Now, I know Javier Rodriguez didn't do the art on this issue, but uh, the fill-in, who the name is escaping me at the moment, actually felt... Did a good job of maintaining the visual style. And and I got to tell you, I want to see so much more Javier uh, as the series goes forward. Um, Just throwing that out there. But also going back to the story here, I thought Jessica's journey uh, from Avenger to street level was very well told and executed. Um, I actually felt some pain for her in this book's final moments when the Avengers came calling back and she had to suck it up and save the world again. Uh, This new status quo with pregnant Jessica still kind of scares me, but with Dennis Hopeless and Rodriguez on the case, I think we'll be fine. Fan club certified.
0: Oh, man, half a second left, Mark.
1: I, I had a feeling that I was I was skidding there, so I, I, I'm excited that I was able to uh, get it in. All right, hold on. My, uh, in true fashion, I wasn't queued up. All right, three, two, one.
0: Yeah, when people complain about big events negatively affecting books that they're doing uh, their own thing, they should point to this issue of Spider-Woman number 10. Uh, You know, it's it's like the first four issues of this book, just kind of involved in something completely different. It's not that this issue is bad, though I do think that the structure of the book is confusing. It's that it takes an intriguing story and has to wrap it up in an unsatisfying way and half an issue just to appease Secret Wars, which we're already halfway through. It's so frustrating, I think. Who needed to read about Jessica getting pulled into Secret Wars? Why couldn't she have just finished her story on her own? This isn't going to sell anyone on this book. Or on Secret Wars. I just think it's a bad editorial choice that hamstrings Dennis Hopeless and his wonderful writing. So, unfortunately, I'm going to call this one Puny Parker. All
1: right. Well, next up is Spider Island number three.
0: All right. You ready? You bet. All right. Counting in in three, two, one.
1: I still don't know what to make of this series. Um, I got to say, bringing Peter back into this chaotic mess almost feels unnecessary for me as I was definitely enjoying watching Flash try to manage this group of, I don't know, heroes turned monsters. Uh, there are some great bits here, like Tony's mocking the Stagron. Uh I also enjoy the usual debate about responsibility and choosing humanity over, you know, the, the strategic choice in this war against the Spider Queen. But um, I'm still confused how I'm supposed to feel about this series. It's not a bad read, but this thing is just so expendable. I mean, like, where does this even fit into anything? Like, this is, this is, this is like even beyond what a what if story should be. Like, this is, this is like what if on another planet. Uh, It's fan club certified? Uh, Maybe. I I don't know. It's uh, Dan, help.
0: Well, if you count me in, I will. Three, two, one. Mark, we're three issues in this book, and I'm starting to feel like three issues was probably how long this whole thing should have been. Don't get me wrong, I love Cap Wolf and Iron Goblin as much as the next guy, but this book is seriously spinning its wheels. I, like you, Mark, didn't mind Peter showing up, but it feels a bit unnecessary, and I'm just kind of ready for this thing to go somewhere or conclude. The book is fun, but it's spinning its wheels, and it's fun to spin your wheels if you're in a car – and that's not necessarily true of a comic book. So I'm giving this one a puny Parker. All
1: right, Dan. Well, I did not read Silk Number 7 again. Uh, well, I didn't read Silk again. Uh, I actually couldn't find it at my comic book store. Is that a sign that it's selling out? I don't know. Did you ever read uh, Silk No. 6? I did. Did
0: and you I enjoy was okay. it?
1: Uh, it was okay. All right. I, 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 I'm, I'm not reviewing it because, you know, that would be silly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you uh, count me in for soak seven and I'll let you know what I think.
1: All right, three, two, one.
0: I know that I complained about Spider-Woman 10 just a second ago being hurt by editorial, and the same is true of Silk number 7, except that Robbie Thompson finds a great way to meld the Secret Wars storyline with that of Cindy's ongoing quest to find her family, and makes it essential. In the end, the issue ends up being quite sentimental and encompasses all the things that have made Silk a great read and one of the best ongoing spider titles, including running through all the its side characters and giving them all a special moment to sing. I'm really looking forward to picking this book up after Secret Wars ends, and hopefully, I'm hoping that Cindy's story continues with very few hiccups, because I think this has really become a gem in the Spider title lineup, so I'm calling this one Fan Club Certified.
1: There you go, Dan. That's high praise.
0: Yeah, I've got to say, I'm really enjoying Silk, and uh, I did not expect to, and I didn't expect after reading Spider Woman 10 to like any of these last days issues, Um, but... Yeah, like I said, the, uh, Robbie Thompson found a way to make it actually feel important. It's like an annual that counts.
1: It counts. Don't ra- talk about ra- annuals.
0: Ra- rare to find, but, but they do exist.
1: Uh huh, uh huh. Well, before we get into the annual debate again, why don't, why don't we get to the the end of the show, Dan?
0: Sure. Of course, uh, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And I noticed, Mark, that we've done enough Amazing Spider Talk episodes that there are only like one or two Superior Spider Talk episodes left on iTunes. So at some point, I'll say, you can only find Superior Spider Talk on uh, our Superior Spider Talk website, which I guess kind of makes a little bit of sense. That's good.
1: You know, like like, how far back should we be reaching here, right?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a bummer that people can't access our whole library on iTunes anymore, but they come up with some arbitrary 50-episode cutoff.
1: Man, who would have thought that Apple would come up with something arbitrary?
0: <laughs> Specifically regarding their podcasts.
1: Exactly. Well... You know, when you're not complaining about Apple's arbitrary rules, be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at Facebook.com slash SuperiorSpiderTalk and Facebook.com slash Amazing because uh, these are great places to complain about arbitrary rules being made uh, as well as articles we write and news, tidbits, uh You know, what's a joke that I can make that I haven't made in a while? Karate Kid 3 Reviews, uh, Flash Thompson's latest Gastrointestinal Adventures, uh, which sounds like a really cool series. Maybe they could put it in space.
0: Sounds like an episode Um, of uh, The Magic School Bus. There you go. Woo! (laughs)
1: Um, So, yeah, use those Facebook pages, everybody.
0: Yeah, and of course, if you are a reader of Spider-Gwen or the upcoming Spider-Man starring Miles Morales, you're going to want to follow those series by listening to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, hosted, as always, by Brian, Kyle, and Noor, uh, that international cast –
1: very international, and uh, as always, special thanks to uh, the creators of our theme song, uh, which is courtesy of Ryland Bojack, and our outro song, which comes from Magic.
0: And all of our artwork comes from the wonderful people Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema. So, special thanks to them. Mark, uh, we got an Essentials episode coming up. Probably not our next episode, but relatively soon, which gives you, the listener at home, extra time to catch up. So. Uh, tell them what we're going to be reading again, Mark.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an extra-sized issue, so those extra weeks might come in handy. It's Sensational Spider-Man Annual, number one, also known as To Have and To Hold by Matt Fraction and Salvador LaRocca. Uh, so get reading on that. Go to your tablets or, or pick up your hard copy. Uh, this is a pretty easy issue to find uh, if you have either Comicsology or Marvel Unlimited, so uh, I recommend you go and do that.
0: The only Sensational Spider-Man Annual. Yes,
1: I you know, I was gonna say I wasn't even a really a huge reader of Sensational Spider-Man. Period. But this annual it was pretty pretty darn good.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk all about it on an upcoming episode. So, Mark, where can the uh, listeners find you on the internet?
1: Well, uh, by the time you all listen to this, we'll hopefully be near the conclusion of our Spider-Man Fantastic Four top ten list, which is being featured on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. dot com. And uh, on Monday,
0: you know, right? We're gonna give the last one.
1: That's the plan. And, uh, you know, we're still doing Clone Saga stuff. We're going to be doing that through the end of next month, I believe, because that'll be the end of the original Clone Saga. Can you believe that? It's been a whole year of Clone Saga stuff, Dan.
0: Wow. Can, can you tease what your upcoming list is going to be?
1: Um, well, I think we're going to – it may not be a list, but I think we're going to revisit some moments of uh, Spider-Man being a little bit of a – world traveler and then uh you know come october which i think is gonna be cool uh to kind of coincide with the uh, reboot we're gonna we're gonna go way back in time and 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 revisit the original reboot the mackie burn run of the late 90s so either be still your heart or still gird your loins Uh,
0: (laughs) I think I've only read through that like once or twice, so revisiting it will be really great to help me refresh myself on the complicated machinations and storylines that were never concluded from the Mackie Byrne run.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess at some point, out of habit, I'm going to have to talk about Chapter 1 in there, but, you know, the less we say about Chapter 1, the better.
0: I honestly have never read Chapter 1.
1: Yeah, you're not. Yeah. (laughs) don't <laughs> save yourself sir you can save it <laughs> oh and of course you could also find me on twitter at chasing asm uh where you can send stuff to me there dan where can we find you
0: well you can find me pestering mark on twitter at at dan Gavazdin, or mostly on at sup spider talk which is my spider-man account and quickly becoming my personal account um one day it will just subsume the other one, and there will be one account, maybe. Perhaps. Probably not. <laughs> um, and you can read Spider-Man writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. I may or may not have an article coming out next week. I'm, I've been workshopping about Spider-Man's tech through the years and where his tech will lead him into the future with this relaunch. Uh, so keep your eye out for that. It's something I've been working on for a little while. Uh, but mark, I, I have to tell you the other day I went to the park to prat- practice my archery. I bet you didn't know that I was an experienced archer. Is your nickname Clinton Barton or something? Nope, nope. they call me uh, Robin of Loxley.
1: Oh, wow. are you are you the Earl Flint, Earl Flynn? Uh, Kevin Costner or the Men in Tights version?
0: No, I'm the one that dresses up as a stork and uh, and goes and slings arrows at a, at a a competition for my foxy maid Marian.
1: Okay, so that fair enough. Okay, so so what happened during this archery tournament?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like as you probably expected, I just nailed bullseyes left and right. I mean, like wait, wh- wait, what, what did you do the bullseye? I nailed them. I, I I shot bullseyes.
1: Oh, I thought you said you killed like Bullseye, the villain. I was like, wow, he's the man who never misses.
0: <laughs> no, but he was there as well. Uh, so you know, watch out, Bullseye. I'm coming for you. I'm I'm gonna steal away your title. Um, wow. Yeah, but but I was surprised though, Mark. Besides Bullseye, I was surprised to see your Uncle Ben at the range with me. And you know what? I I, I should, I'm pretty good, as I've been saying. But uh, Uncle Ben was even better than I was. I couldn't believe it. And so I got to talking to some of the guys there, and Bullseye, you know, he was telling me, you know, oh, I, you know, the real trick to Uncle Ben's success is that he's got a magic arrow that helps him nail all those shots. It seemed kind of like baloney for, to me. You know, Bullseye is probably trying to justify why he's not doing as well as Uncle Ben. But what do you, what do you know about this? Does he have a magic arrow?
1: Oh, no. Ben was shooting arrows again?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Oh,
1: man. So, okay, Dan, I got I got a secret to tell you.
0: You can't <laughs> I'm, tell I'm anybody. All, okay? I'm all ears and all zippered mouth.
1: Okay. So, so Ben, Uncle Ben, he, he took, like, archery in high school and college and stuff. He was great. Um, but he kind of became a bit of a show-off and uh you know he he you know he was saying that he was so good that he was like you know he had like magic arrows that's how good he was like he was just shooting here there and everywhere and um a couple of years ago he was you know doing his whole magic arrow routine there was some woman it wasn't at may i'll tell you that much and he was kind of like hey look what i can do and he shot the arrow and he he missed the target by a country mile and like there was a tragedy. He, he shot somebody.
0: Oh, my God. Well, it's a good thing no one listens to this podcast. The secret is safe with me.
1: He shot somebody, Dan. Like, it was just like, like you know, like, really bad. I mean, like, you know, the guy needed a Band-Aid. It was
0: terrible. Oh, <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean I, this is really lowering my respect for your uncle, who I, I, up till now I thought has had many very similar words of wisdom. Well, but
1: that's the thing. So when, when it was all said and done— um, you know, he, he, he realized that that woman that he was trying to flirt with went and robbed a bank and then shot a cop. What? Yeah. It killed the cop. Uh, what, what does this have the, to do with the man that robbery. he injured? Uncle Ben realized in that moment that, you know, showing off for this woman who was a criminal, who wasn't his wife. Which led to him shooting somebody else Was completely irresponsible And it made the lesson be known With great podcasts Must also come Amazing Spider Talk